Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cheese and pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket and I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about some warm stuff that they like. A book or a TV show or a film or a record they go back to again and again for comfort. In this episode, I'm going to continue talking to the journalist Andrew Mayle about his choices of the best of Laurel and Hardy's short sound films. We've done the music box in part one and had a general chat about the magic of Laurel and Hardy. So if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that first because it'll give you some context of what we're talking about. But in this one, we're going to look more closely at the remaining films that Andrew chose as the cream of the crop of Laurel and Hardy's short sound films. So enjoy. Also from 1932 is Toad in a Hole, which I think might be their best short ever. Yeah, I think that's the one you should watch first. Yeah. When you want to understand Laurel and Hardy, you're always pointed towards the music box, which is terrific, but a slight variation. The one to watch that is enjoyable and joyous and has all their character work in it is Toad in a Hole. One of the things I absolutely love about it is it's as much as I like seeing the chaos of Laurel and Hardy, I love to see them having done well. Yeah. So while we were away, after the last film, whatever disaster happened to them, everything has gone well while we were looking the other way. Yeah. They've managed they, to build a whole new life. They've and got an, they've got a little <laughs> they've got a small business. They're basically they're selling fish door to door. They've got a car. They've got a, a trailer on the back with it's frozen fish. It's a depression era dream. Yeah. They're doing well. And they are happy because Ollie is singing about the fresh fish that yeah. they've caught. Caught in the ocean this morning. And Stan's got a little horn that he pops. And after Ollie announces the fish that they've got, salmon, mackerel, saltfish and tuna. 
and it's just it's a joy to watch and then stan then explains how they can make more money you know ollie I, i've been thinking what about i i know how we could make a lot more money how well if if we caught our own fish we wouldn't have to pay for it then whoever we sold it to it would be clear profit and it's a beautiful Stan joke. And Stan does this again a few times in other ones. Yeah. Where there's a flash where suddenly Stan's brain skips and goes in a straight line. Yeah. For the first time ever. And then Ollie goes, oh my God. And oh, oh God. I'm... Tell me that again. <laughs> tell me that again. Well, if, if you caught a fish and whoever you sold it to, they wouldn't have to pay for it. Then the profits would they go to the fish if, uh, if you... And then that Stan Brain kicks in, but something registers with Ollie. He holds on to that little moment of insight that Stan has. And so they decide that they're going to invest in a boat and they're going to go fishing and they're going to turn their pennies into dollars and the rest of the short is basically them renovating an old ship and that's all it is they're in a junkyard they're fixing the leaks they're painting the ship but the chaos that ensues and the way in which it happens is so beautiful so balletic so perfectly timed and also, I think it's the best film for their looks of despair. Ollie's yeah. looks to camera, but also Stan's blank look when he's been reprimanded by yeah. Ollie and he's been banished to the hull of the ship. Ollie! Oh, Ollie! I told you that I didn't want to talk to you. That's and my favourite sequence in the film by miles and he's watching his face and he's playing noughts and crosses by himself yeah and the way in which he does that is he kind of gives a cross and then tries to not look and and put the little naught yeah i think there's nothing more quintessentially stan than the fact that he can be left alone and create chaos i thought i told you not to come out of there well I, i got a good idea i don't want to hear it now you get back in there and don't come out again until I call you. It's the bit where he gets his head trapped behind the mast of the ship. I watched that on repeat. How he falls and sells to me the idea that he's managed to slip behind the mast, yeah. which is clearly a space too small to fit his head. Yeah. But obviously it isn't. Yeah. But he sells the idea that he's managed to get his head through like a mouse going yeah. through a gap. It's cartoon character logic. He appears to have a rubber head. Yes. He slides behind and then he can't get his chin out. And you, you buy it completely. Beautiful. And also the range of emotions that he goes through when his head is trapped is like the sort of fear, mm. incredulity, kind of, and just shock, surprise. But it's silent, isn't it? It's a piece of silent comedy. <laughs> but it's a piece of silent comedy 
about their characters. And it's a chance to spend some time with Stan on his own without mm. Ollie and to see into Stan's mind. And the first thing you notice is that Ollie has given Stan the ultimate punishment, which is a withdrawal of love. Yeah. And this is a small child who either a sibling or a parent has said, I don't want to see you anymore. Yeah. Put them away. And the first thing that Stan does is he draws a picture of Ollie on the wall with chalk, which he then does voodoo poking in the eye. Yeah. At. But, and it's kind of a rude picture of Ollie where he's got puffed out cheeks. Yeah. But he's still drawn Ollie because he yeah. doesn't want to be on his own. And he's written the name Ollie next Ollie to Andre. it. This scene has got Stan and Ollie. Yeah. And the first thing that Stan does is play Noughts and Crosses. Yeah. Which he can't do on his own. Yeah. And it tells you he misses him. And it's a lovely scene where you get him on his own, but Ollie is in the scene with him. Yeah. As well as the intercuts to Ollie painting the mast up yes. ahead. So you can feel something's brewing yeah. when Stan gets his head stuck behind the mast. That is a beautiful bit of Hitchcock suspense where you're waiting yes. for Stan to release his head by soaring through the mast. But the other thing is, he is doing a double act on his own with an absent friend. Yeah. And what you're reading to that isn't just the antic slapstick, but what's going on in Stan's mind. And the, there is also another fantastic Stan sequence where there's almost like, there's almost 60 seconds worth of reaction shot <laughs> where um, Ollie falls off the boat and lands in some paint. So of he's course. covered in paint. And then Stan sees him like this. And rather than thinking, oh, you're painting a boat. And, <laughs> and so and now you just and now you just come in covered in paint. He just he can't make sense of it. So he's just kind of there's a mixture of fear because he thinks it might be his fault. But there's also a kind of a, a sort of incredulity. The world does not make sense. What do you put that stuff on your face for? What do you do that for? And the answer is. Because Ollie is subject to the normal physical rules yeah, of the universe. Exactly. And so, yeah, and it might be your fault, but he doesn't know that innocence, that simplicity, that holy fool thing. He is a magical character. Yeah. And he finds Ollie as confusing as Ollie finds him. Yeah. And yet they are best friends. And we also get, we get another kind of Dali-esque, Bunuelian scene that I, I imagine all the intellectuals love, in which Stan washes an anchor oh, as well. That. And tries to wring the water out of it as well. That's a little moment that is Chaplin-esque. Yeah. Behaving with an object like yeah. it possesses the properties of another object. Yeah. And I'm sure the signs and signifiers mob absolutely love that. Yeah. The postmodernists, yeah. they're loving that. Yeah. But it's also really funny to watch someone yes. wring out a chains of an anchor. And also, that because, but that also works because as soon as I go, hang on, you can't wring out an anchor. My brain goes, then the anchor's heavy. And then within a second, it's fallen on Ollie. Yeah. That actually helped set up the idea exactly. that Stan doesn't realise the anchor's going to be heavy. Yeah. So... Not only is it an abstract thing, it's yeah. not just art, it's all character. As soon as you realise that Stan doesn't understand how heavy the anchor is, even though it's in his arms, yeah. that's why he leaves it on the edge of a surface that could fall. Brilliant. One of my favourite cuts in, in Laurel and Hardy is that cut. You see the anchor fall, the chain run away, yeah. and the cut is to the aftermath maybe 30 seconds later rather than straight away. Yeah. And you fill in that gap of going, it destroyed the bottom of the boat. Yeah. And just the arrangement of anchor, Ollie's head, Stan's water head, pouring water down. pouring through, destroyed hull of ship. It's a beautiful bit of mise-en-scene going on there. At the studio, to get through with the picture, and I probably wouldn't see him again if we made the next picture. See, he liked the golf, I liked to go fishing. <laughs> uh, my interest was in the pictures. He had no interest whatsoever in the writing of the pictures or the production of the pictures. He said himself that 
he prefers to keep out of it. When you're watching this, you're obviously, and we should do credit, the invention of Stan Laurel, who was the brains behind setting this all yes. stuff up. Oliver Hardy is a character actor who he's his best friend and loved being on the golf course. But meanwhile, Stan is breaking his brain, setting these things up, but also doing it with the help of clearly superb directors yeah. and superb film editors. One of the joys of this is that the credits come up at the beginning. There's about five names. Yeah. Five people made this. <laughs> you can make a 20 minute two reader in 1932 with about six people. Yeah. So they all trust each other. They all know what they're doing. It's a small number of people who really know their stuff. Well, Toad in a Hole was originally meant to. To have an ending where the finished ship and probably with raised sails kind of raced through the sort of streets of California. But I think the reason was <laughs> that they had so many ideas from just two guys trying to renovate a ship, yeah. those two guys being Laurel and Hardy. You don't that, need anything. No, you don't You don't need the big ending. It's the what? reason why I don't love County Hospital. Obviously, the most famous thing about that is Stan is visiting Ollie in hospital and he brings him some hard-boiled eggs and some yeah. nuts. And it's yeah. kind of... The first reel is a classic. It's beautiful. What have you got there? I brought you some hard-boiled eggs and some nuts. The second reel is some antic business with back projection and a ladder and racing through the streets of Los Angeles, and I find it incredibly tedious. It always makes you think of Spielberg's 1941. Yes. How much money can you spend not making me laugh? Yeah. Laurel and Hardy found out you can cut that final reel with the chaotic boat going through Los Angeles. As long as those two guys look at each other, and that is the point at which you realise that you can put two people in a studio set and invent sitcom, because... You can just lock two characters, you understand, together and it'd be as spectacular a comic thing as driving a plane through a building. Now, you know I can't eat hard-boiled eggs and nuts. If you wanted to bring me something, why didn't you bring me a box of candy? They cost too much. Well, what has that got to do with it? You didn't pay me for the last box I brought you. I think if you talk to people who maybe don't like Laurel and Hardy or don't really watch Laurel and Hardy or aren't that familiar with it, if you said to them, you know, what would be the defining scene in Laurel and Hardy? Would it be two guys in hospital who kind of got nothing much to say to each other? Or would you say it was like two guys careering on a ladder on the back of a car through the streets of Los Angeles? They'd say the latter. Yeah. You know, and I think there's a definitely proselytizing quality in my love of Laurel and Hardy. Have one? No, I'd rather not. With Laurel and Hardy, they remove almost all of the stunt work from the classic silent slapstick comedies and say, actually, sometimes the guy's just talking will be enough. Two guys look at each other and find a fish trumpet and you will get a big laugh out of the audience. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think it's one of the reasons why I love the next film that I've chosen, their first mistake from 1932, because so much of this film is rooted in dialogue. And it's kind of, it's such a small interior world. It's also, I think, possibly the most queer coded (laughs) of the Laurel and Hardy films that we've chosen. Yeah, this is the one where it's all about the two of them. And the wife is saying, what is it with you guys? (laughs) Well, Ollie's wife, is she suing him and... Stan is being charged with alienation of affections. Yeah. And there's a beautiful exchange (laughs) where Stan asks what's wrong. You know, I'm not as dumb as you look. You bet your life you're not. Anybody that could think. What do you mean you're not as dumb as I look? Well, you Come on. Where are you going? We're going to adopt a baby. My love of Laurel and Hardy is so much rooted in this scene, not just because of the dialogue, but because they're hanging out at Stan's house and they're both sitting on Stan's bed and the casual way in which they're lounging on Stan's bed and Stan is polishing his shoes with his curtains. But it's done in such a lovely, relaxed way. They're like two teenagers hanging out in in a bedroom. They're at right angles to the bed. Yeah flopped out it's not the one that people talk about as in with eric and ernie as in do these guys share a bed yeah there's no weirdly there's no sexuality they're not sharing a bed like a married couple yeah but they are sharing a bed that is definitely what they're doing and they're sharing a bed like people who are very intimate with each other and it's nice that the conversation that happens is stan basically asks what's going on with ollie's wife and ollie says she says that i think more of you than i do of her and Stan's reply is, Well, you do, don't you? Yeah. And Ollie's reply to that is, But well, we won't go into that. Yeah. And then Stan suggests that the solution, one of Stan's great ideas again, is that Ollie should adopt a baby. <laughs> because if Ollie's wife has a baby, then she'll stay at home and she'll be happy. And then Ollie can go out carousing to clubs and nightclubs and everything. You could go out nights with me and she'd never think anything about it. All your troubles would be over. It's an amazing suggestion because the suggestion isn't that it will bring Ollie and his wife closer together. It's that it will enable them to be apart. It will bring Stan and Ollie close together. (laughs) And which is what happens in the film, but not in the way that they expect. They basically become a couple raising a baby. Yeah, there's that lovely scene almost immediately where... Ollie does all the dialogue for a woman who's been made pregnant by a, a rake. Yeah. And well, she's he, accusing him. Exactly. He's, Ollie says to Sam, well, it was you. You were the one who wanted me to have a baby. Yeah. What have you got to do with it? Well, you were the one that wanted me to have a baby. And now that you've gotten me into this trouble, you want to walk out and leave me flat. Well, I don't know anything about babies. Well, you should have thought of that before we got it. There is an amazing visual gag where it looks like Stan is about to breastfeed the baby. What do you keep the milk in there for? I put it there to keep it warm. 
this short does something which is very sitcom. You can imagine this being in the Flintstones. You can imagine it being in Father Ted. Yeah. There are the two people who are two guys who are a bit stupid and they've got a baby well, to look after. It's three men and a baby, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. a pretty classic setup. It doesn't go anywhere you expect. Yeah. Where it goes is it starts flipping gender yeah. straight away. It's not even queer coded. They female code them for a bit. Yes. So they keep changing from men to women. Yeah. Are they two men who love each other or have they flipped into being a man and a woman? And occasionally sometimes Ollie's the woman, sometimes yeah. Stan's the woman. And just at the end of it, it's not at the level of Monty Python dragging up or no. even, it's not camp even. It's done with real affection. It's done with a real, what, I might even go so far as to say a real sensitivity. And, it, and yeah. it's not its not saying, oh, isn't it hilarious that these men are behaving like women? No. There's something really kind of quite oddly tender in the way that Stan is keeping the milk warm inside his nightshirt. Yeah. So when he goes to feed the baby, he unbuttons his nightshirt at the breast. Yeah. And then there's a really lovely detail where mm. Stan checks that the milk is okay yeah. you know for the baby there is a delicacy to it that certainly no other comedian of the time would have no. done but i'm trying to think what other double act ever would there's have, no would have done this. there's no grotesque no. they're not no. playing parodies of women or no. cartoons it's a cross between what happens with seahorses and clownfish and that jurassic park thing where the dinosaurs work out how to have babies yeah if you remove the woman yeah. and you put a baby in there they change sex. Yes. Like a survival technique. Yeah. They're like an organism that can switch sex in order to raise a child. And that joke, wildly sophisticated and strange and done in the terms of music hall, is also done in a very sophisticated way that says to the audience, follow this. Yeah. And you do. You never get lost. It's just comically strange. Yeah, which is absolutely lovely. And it's really interesting that you mentioned that point about the grotesque, because there are definitely points where Lol and Hardy do enter into the world of the grotesque. And I really have, I don't want to have anything to do with those, those particular films or shorts. Like there's the one Bratz where yeah, they yeah. play child versions of themselves and obviously that's rooted in the idea that well laurel and hardy are just like children mm. so why can't we have them dressed you know with in an outside set so that they're basically kind of two little kids and i find it i'm it almost makes me angry how horrible and wrong that that film is with laurel and hardy because they are comically inventive and they're working in the field very often of comic shorts yeah sketches things that only have to hold their reality for two reels they run up against something which bothers me and clearly bothers you, which is that they're not sketches. Yeah. That is Stan and that is Ollie. Yeah. And you can do something as wild as making them turn into women yeah. organically within a world where that is still Stan and still Ollie because I've invested in learning who they are. Yeah. And I don't want to see them ever not be Stan and Ollie. Yeah, I want absolutely. to see Stan Laurel, the actor, yeah. and Oliver Hardy, the actor, play the characters of Stan and Ollie, who I know really well, because I've invested in looking at those close-ups of their faces and working out what they want. And if they turn up and suddenly one of them's a mad professor and one of them, one of them is from the 25th century, that's not a Laurel yeah. and Hardy. I don't want that. I don't even want them to have the flexibility of Bugs Bunny. Yeah. I want them to be Stan and Ollie in a Model T Ford, because those are comic characters that they've written. And it's less when they're not playing those comic characters. Even a chump at Oxford, which I like a lot, flirts with that by saying, well, let's make them change character. Let's yeah. make Stan very high status suddenly. I go, yeah, but he better go back. Yeah. Because that better be Stan in there. Because I know who Stan is. I mean, you've said it perfectly, and it's exactly the same reason why I 
can't stomach Laurel and Hardy impersonators. <laughs> I, I really could. They, they make my stomach turn because there's something that, again, it's, it's kind of doing what you're saying. It's kind of saying, oh, look, you know, he's doing the thing with his hair and he's twiddling his tie. This is still Laurel and Hardy, isn't it? And I'm going, no, it isn't. You've turned them into grotesque. Don't do uncanny Ollie. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do uncanny Ollie. I refuse it. But you're right, because you're so used to looking at them so, so close. If it's not really them, yeah. like the cartoons were, the TV cartoons, yeah. that's not them. Well, next house. No, no, you don't. Come back here. I was merely demonstrating what can happen. As a kid, that bothered me. That's not yeah. really them. Because I'm saying, you know, I said it at the time when I was a kid and I'm saying it now. It's like, it's like me saying, you don't understand them. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I, I, only I understand Stan and Lolly. Only I can see those little details of their characters. It's like, I'm, I'll never watch the Steve Coogan and John C. Riley film as great as I've been told it's a nice it is. Film. It's yeah, a nice film. exactly. But I'll never do it because I <laughs> don't want there. to see other people no. dressed as Laurel and Hardy. Again, it, it you're right. It exists in the uncanny Ollie or the <laughs> Ollie Valley. It is grotesque. And the one thing I would insist that Stan and Ollie aren't are comedy grotesques. No. They are too delicate. They are too lovely. Yeah. What'd you strike that match for? I want to see if the switch was off. That's a good idea. The last film, or we'll, we'll actually do a, a double act here, a twofer. But I wanted to also talk about a film from two years later, 1934, called Them, Their Hills. Which is one in which Ollie has the worst case of gout. Anyone has said, the Dr. Billy Gilbert said, That's the worst case of gout I ever saw. And there's a camera close-up on this horrible, throbbing, bandaged foot. It's like something from The Thing. It's like Rob <laughs> Bettine has made it. It's pulsing. It's not right, is it? So the doctor suggests that they basically spend a few few days in the country, get away, drink lots of mountain water and lots of it. Oh, what a setup. Yeah. And so they basically decided to spend a couple of days in the countryside, the high multitude, as Stan calls it. Stan suggests renting a little caravan. And so they're going to have a lovely time. And Stan's idea is good. And they do manage to rent a little caravan. And they go up there and there's a lovely, one of those brilliant cuts to a proper shootout. There's a bunch of bootleggers up there and you get a little bit... I always love it in a film where the shootout's proper. Yeah. Like in The Lady Killers, where that's a real bank robbery. Yeah. It's great. It's a little moment you go, ooh, we're in, a, we're in a cowboy movie. But there's bootleggers and they've poured all their moonshine down the well. And that is your setup. As an audience member, you go, they were told to drink plenty of mountain water. I do hope they get some plenty of mountain water out of this well, which is now full of hooch. Say, Ollie. What? Has this water got a funny colour? Look. It doesn't look the same as ours, then. Well, there's nothing wrong with this. It's the iron in it. That's the way all mountain water tastes. That's why the doctor said to drink plenty of it. Try some, it's good for your nerves. Worth saying that Stan and Ollie are two of the great drunk performers of all time. Come in. And there's a, an edge to this which I'd forgotten. Because you watch this and I tend to think that Stan and Ollie, even though they belong to Stan and Ollie universe, I forget what years these are. That this will be, some of this will be during Prohibition. Yeah. That there will be an edge to getting drunk. Yeah. That is beautifully played in this because what happens when they're up there is they realise they're about to cook themselves a lovely meal they go go and get some water from the well so in the caravan is a huge bucket full of really strong hooch and they taste it and say oh it's got a funny taste it's a it bit tickles. brown it tickles because 
either they're unfamiliar with booze, they haven't had it for a while, or they're lying to each other. Yeah. And they might know it's booze because they know they shouldn't have it. And when May Bush and Charles Hall arrive, who are the motorists who are coming past and come along to be part of the chaos and to drink too much hooch with them, the look in May Bush's eyes says she knows exactly what she's drinking, but they mustn't say. Say, this is delicious. It's the iron in it. You want some? No. Okay, baby, you don't know what you're missing. And so does Charles Hall, because when he tastes it, he spits it out in yeah. disgust, you know. There's a level of conspiracy in there. So yeah. either they're fools in not knowing that this very strong liquor isn't water and saying, oh, it's just what it tastes like up here. Oh, it must be really good for you. Or they know they're going to get a chance to get really pissed for the first time in ages. And it's not quite clear, but there are a couple of winks backwards and forwards that give it a lovely edge. I think Them Their Hills is one of the great Laurel and Hardy films for watching just how beautifully Stan and Ollie move and interact as performers. There are two scenes. There's the scene before they're drunk where they're making... Well, basically, Ollie suggests that the meal is going to be... How about a plate of beans and a pot of steaming hot coffee? And Stan replies beautifully. Swell. You sure know how to plan a meal. <laughs> and there's love in that moment. There is real kind of comfort and love. And then... That's a beautiful joke that isn't a joke. Exactly. It's a victimless joke. Yeah. And you go, I meant to laugh as an audience member that something so simple could please those yeah, guys. And but then it you does. go, but they are delighted. Yeah, they... So I'm laughing at them uh, being I unsophisticated. Find, I find I'm it delighted. pleasing. I find it pleasing. I now think that a plate of beans and a pot of steaming hot coffee would be an amazing meal. Even saying it now, yeah. I think I made myself a coffee straight after watching this and thought, this is good. Yeah. I'd forgotten how pleasurable it was. <laughs> There's lots of kind of balletic movement as they kind of prepare their meal. And then after they're drunk, the movements are much kind of wilder. But Laurel and Hardy are something closer to like modern dance. Yeah, yeah. Because the combination of the physical and expression and and sleight of hand and movement and everything, it's not like the balletic movements of Chaplin. No. There's so much more going on with Laurel and Hardy. It's all Hardy. reading character again. It's yeah. no coincidence that, that for a whole generation, Laurel and Hardy were known as that gif of them doing commence to dance. Yeah. That little gif of them moving in that way, and you can tell they're both beautifully both in complete sync with each other. I yeah. love it when they fall into sync. Yeah. They're moving two very different bodies exactly together. And that is dance. That is the joy of modern dance, that you're not matched. It's not two beautiful, tiny prima ballerinas. Modern dance is about moving any body in a different shape. Exactly. I think you've just defined what's great about Laurel and Hardy, because basically they are both harmonious and discordant. They're yeah. fluid and antagonistic. So those points where you see them come together and move as one, that's kind of what defines what's great about Laurel and Hardy. These two jagged, discordant, antagonistic characters suddenly becoming harmonious and fluid. And that's why they're friends. That's why they mustn't argue. That's why they can have a moment of arguing or dispute, but they will fall together. That's why they are the classic comic double act. That's why they're Bert and Ernie. Yeah. That's why they are Eric and Ernie. They're anyone and Ernie, really. Tim Mack and Ernie. They're any of those people. <laughs> when you stop to consider how close we have grown, we'll dance ourselves to sleep. What you're watching is two people who are different getting along and they get along to a point where they are indistinguishable, even though they're two people who are completely different, they're different size, shapes, mental uh, landscapes, and they still fall into lockstep together sometimes. And it's so clever. 
the shot of them making the dinner is a lock shot. Yeah. And it's just them clearly working out what to do in that space together. Yeah. There are almost no cuts in it. And it turns into a song, a pom-pom. Yeah. Which is a thing that I think is referred to in Frasier. Daphne and Niles, when you realise they're going to be together, sing a song together and they just fall naturally into it. Hard and I fell in love with you. And it's a bit like when they suddenly start dancing. They do a song and they are absolutely finishing each other's lines and then Ollie objecting as I'm singing this song yeah. and the answer is no you're not you're yeah. singing the song pom, 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 pom. I'm singing this song put the coffee on and then when they're drunk they're happy to sing the song together yeah. and there's much more cutting in the drunken stuff it's a much more disjointed thing the ballet has become chaotic there's a lovely bit which you don't see but which clearly happens in Them Their Hills where they must have told May Bush about the song. <laughs> there's there's a bit that it's off camera because when May and Stan and Ollie are drunk together, <laughs> they're singing the pom pom song. Yes. So there's clearly a point where they said, "Oh, we were singing this song," and yeah. and I just think, "Oh, that's just there's something so gorgeous about that." You're invited to read as yeah. an audience. You're invited to to take the detail they give you and read stuff that happened off screen that makes perfect sense to those characters. And then later on, when they do the sequel to this film. After Them Their Hills, it's followed by a film called Tit for Tat. 1935. So yeah. popular that they brought back May Bush and Charles Hall to be the same characters. Yeah. What's he looking at? You remember that fellow that we met in the trailer? Remember his wife came in and she asked for a drink of water? And in this one, the moment that May Bush recognises it, Stan and Ollie, is cued into her queuing up the pom pom song. Yeah. Pom pom. And it annoys Charles Hall because these guys who all got drunk together have a secret past that he wasn't part of. I remember you. And I remember you too. And they carry it forward into another short. And you stick those two films together and you're coming up to close to a film. Yeah. And it's beautiful to watch them together. Especially when you think that the average length of a Laurel and Hardy film is about 70 minutes. So This is going to 40, 45 minutes, maybe, maybe 50 minutes. And it's pulling in a direction. You look at these two films back to back and they are lovely. And I'd never seen Tip for Tap before. I'd only watched it because someone said it was the sequel to, to Them Their Hills. And it's wonderful, completely underrated short. But you stick the two together and you realise that what they're yanking at the very edge at here is inventing the modern sitcom. <laughs> I've never been in a position like that before. <laughs> but it's certainly a pleasure to have seen you again. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye. Because the moment they have neighbours... Yes. ..and they have a relationship with those neighbours... The next time you tell me to keep an eye on the store, I'm going to keep the other eye on you. Oh, you make me sick. And there's a neighbour who's very, very uptight and he doesn't like the fact that Ollie is a southern gentleman who can charm his wife and that his wife likes drinking with Stan. They've got this dynamic. What do you want? Pardon the intrusion, but I've come to seek redress for the gross insult to my character. In other words, I demand an apology. And that point that you made about them, the hills, about the joy of watching them move harmoniously as one is totally repeated in in Tit for Tat. Because you even get that sense of them 
kind of just moving in sequence, moving in time with each other and doing it in defiance of Charlie Hall. Yeah, there's a bit where they're about to leave his grocer's store and Stan's been stealing marshmallows from the front display and popping them in his mouth. And there's one where they both go out and they're they're far distance of the shot and you just see them moving complete sync like they're doing a dance to take a marshmallow and both pop it in their mouth at the same time. And you go, it tells you Stan and Ollie are not arguing or bickering anymore. They are completely united. Yeah, It's all language. It's all character. And I was stunned by how funny and brilliant and fast Tit for Tat is. Yeah. It's really good. It might even transcend them their hills in terms of gag rate. I'm sorry, officer. That was my partner's fault. You see, he's not quite over his nervous breakdown yet. It won't happen again, I assure you. And the significant thing about it is this is the one that Stan wrote with a guy called Frank Tashlin, who is a Merry Melodies and Looney Tunes animator. And it has the pace of a really good Bugs Bunny. Why don't you be more careful? Well, I didn't know he was on top of that thing. And then Tashlin goes on on to be one of the key comedy film directors of the 1950s, directs Jane Mansfield in... Uh, Girl Can't was, Help It. Yeah, yeah, and Will Success spoil Rock Hunter as well. Yeah. Tashlin also directs most of the Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin films. So he brings that kind of Laurel and Hardy comedy, that idea of the cartoon existing in a real world and yeah. the cartoon elements tormenting real people. Do you want to get us arrested before the customers arrive? What time are they going to be here? Well, they'll be here about... What time are they going to be here? Why, customers come at any time. Get a ladder and put those globes up in the sign. That will give you the tone of every American comedy film from Austin Powers to Airplane, the idea of what happens if it looks like real people, but they are treated like cartoon characters. Yeah. It's Anchorman. That clash of cartoon action and real characters doing it is a very distinctive American comic voice that is the jerk, the man with two brains. It's such a rich thing, and it starts here. Yeah. What you doing up there? I'm waiting for a streetcar. Where you going? What? Oh, uh, I'm in a slight predicament. Would it be asking too much if I used your stairway? Oh, why, it would be a pleasure. Come right in. Thank you. I can demonstrate that by saying that in Tit for Tat, there is a moment where Charles Hall goes to Stan and Ollie's electrical shop and takes a display of expensive watches and puts them in a Nutribullet, something that could only happen in a cartoon, and you watch it actually happen, and it plays out beautifully. And I never realised until now that the relationship between Joe Lewis and Dean Martin is exactly the same as the relationship between Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Yes. What do you think you're doing? Oh, I just wanted to try and drive at one time. Jerry Lewis inhabits the cartoon world. Yeah. He is a figure of magic chaos. Dean Martin is trying to exist within a normal world and be a normal person, but also, you realise, is trapped behind the screen in Jerry Lewis' world. Well, here's another nice mess you've gotten me into. The brilliance of that as well is, as performers, they inhabited that world. We just saw each other as we made a picture, but after that... We didn't till we finally went on the road. Oliver Hardy, as soon as filming was done, would go back to the real world. Yes. Golf course, socialising. Stan Laurel remained within the film world, worked on the editing, worked on the gags, worked on the <laughs> jokes. He is locked within that world as a performer as much as a character, whereas Oliver Hardy is 
existing purely within the real world. He leaves, he goes to play golf, he goes to parties, he has friends, he has a life outside of his character, and Stan does not. We'd work out a script and uh, get to shooting it as quick as we could. I don't believe in sitting for weeks and months on a, a comedy picture, comedy especially. In which case, you may have just stumbled upon why these work, which is that when you go up close to someone, especially a clown, an archetype, someone who's got pan stick on, they're not real, and you go up close and you look into their eyes, what you're seeing is truth. Yeah. This is authentically who they were yeah. in a weird way. And it's very confusing for a while. When you first find out that Stan's the brains and you go, well, how is he playing this character? Yeah. He's playing a fool, but he's very clever. Oh, that's really clever. What you're saying is that, no, they're playing themselves. Yes. Well, we get an awful lot of pleasure in making pictures and appearing in public and enjoy each other. Stan is the funniest thing in the world. I mean, he thinks I'm funny. <laughs> the essence of them is true, and that works in any great comic partnership. That is why peep show is magic because they're a bit like it those yeah. guys it's why tony and sid work in hancock yeah it's why the likely lads works it's it's why these great comic partnerships work is that no matter how cartoonish they get when you get up close to them that's really them yes and that's why it's wrong when they're playing other characters yeah and that's why it's wrong when someone else plays them an impersonator or a cartoon or if they're being little babies no that's stan and ollie yeah. they're real yes <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. What an amazing thing to discover. Oh, thank you so much for bringing Stan and Ollie's sound shorts. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank you so much. I mean, those films have been literally been with me all my life and I've never really had a chance to talk about them in that way. And what a revelation. Thank you. Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.